Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Robin Andrus, Chief Privacy Officer at Skyflow, and we'll be talking about AI governance and responsible AI. Robin, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. I've been listening to your show a lot lately and excited about all the great guests you've had. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for being here. You were one of those very first great guests that we had. So welcome back. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about, I, I think, you know, one of the hottest topics in the world right now around the AI. Uh, it's hard to have a conversation in tech or really in privacy right now without kind of talking about what's going on in the world of generative AI. But maybe before we get there, you were recently at some conferences you, uh, you know, attended and spoke at InfoGov World and IAPP, PSR. So Maybe to start off with, what were your talks actually about? Yeah, so I'll just um, take a step back. So I was in San Diego for a week at InfoGov World and then the IAPP PSR. And so it's really interesting, um, just these conferences, like the more options there are around conferences of privacy and security. Um, InfoGov World, I think, is a relatively new kind of boutique conference that um, was focused, I think, on a lot of people in like the legal e-discovery space. But you can definitely see they are touching on privacy, gen AI. Um, so that was a really great kind of interesting group of people I had a chance to meet that's outside of my normal kind of sphere of people I meet at a lot of the IAPP conferences. And then right after that event was the IAPP PSR, which um, for listeners, that stands for the IAPP is the International Association of Privacy Professionals. It's kind of the de facto organization that many people join when you were getting into privacy or been in it for a while. They now have 80,000 members. Um, and PSR is privacy security risk. And the idea is that it's more focused on kind of privacy and security and risk practitioners, where some of their other conferences are more focused on like legal or policy or writing the laws. Um, so, you know, there, this, this event has also really expanded a lot. And the two events I, so jumping to your first question, the two topics I spoke on, um, both events were really well regarded. My first talk was on pets, privacy enhancing technologies um, with uh, three great co-panelists. And it was a little bit of a back to basics, like it was kind of uh, pets, the guide for privacy professionals. And, you know, when I initially submitted the panel, I was like, let's kind of like take a step back. Let's look at the history of pets and like where we are today. And um, it was very well received, like lots of people really felt that it was really well presented and discussed and kind of a, just a back to basics, because a lot of these conferences have what's new, what's going on, what's trending, but not always a back to basics. Um, and the second speaking event I had was on um, Gen AI, has privacy kill, will, will Gen AI, privacy kill Gen AI? And talking about, you know, this evolution of generative AI and what we're looking at from a risk and privacy and security perspective, I actually spoke with a CISO and a privacy engineer and, you know, how to kind of think about those risks and mitigate those risks internally and externally as a user. So on the pet side, what, um, you know, I, I guess like for anybody who's not super familiar with privacy enhancing technologies, what's a couple examples of one of those types of technologies? So it's actually, it's interesting because if you think back, you know, 10 years, it might be anonymization or um, homomorphic encryption, which as you know, is, you know, very hard from a compute perspective. And so it's evolving as we speak and talk through it. So now you're seeing more um, like multi-party, like secure computing, you know, such like Nitro Enclaves or something like that, or you're seeing... Um, you're still, you are seeing, you know, redaction, tokenization, data anonymization, and some sort of de-identification definitely included in different 
um, definitions. But one of the things that I, you know, reminded myself of while I was planning for this is that there are many different frameworks and definitions of pets out there. Um, you know, like the EU, for example, you have the UK ICO, which is the privacy cop regulator in the EU. You have Singapore comes up with their own guidance. And then some regulators also have different sandboxes where you can kind of test out different pets. So it's not, and like the regulator hasn't blessed one, but what we're seeing is similar to like standard security, um, reasonable security, right? Like if you have a data breach because you didn't encrypt your data or didn't have proper security or controls around it, the regulator could come and say, you didn't have reasonable security, like you had 1995 security. Um, and then, you know, say like, you're not even trying, right? And we're starting to see that as well with pets is that, you know, if you're not using some sort of privacy enhancing technology um, where you could easily implement it, you're starting to see definitely more of an adoption and becoming like a reasonableness standard. Mm -hmm. I see. And then what were some of the big takeaways from those, from the events that you tend, uh, you know, were at and, you know, how did they compare to prior, uh, I mean, maybe not InfoGov world. I think this was the first time you're there, but certainly the, uh, you know, IAPP, PSR, you've been to, you know, many times. What were sort of the, what was the hot topics, you know, this year versus last year? I'm assuming they were probably all related to the AI, but were kind of the trends and differences from prior events? I would say that, you know, last year we were talking about, a lot of people were talking about the framework, the, the EU-US relations, data retention, and a lot of the topics this year are on Gen AI. That was really a lot of the theme of the event. So it'll be interesting to what we see next year. Um, you know, I think a lot of, and we'll touch on this more later in our podcast, but a lot of privacy leaders are getting the the AI governance, AI trust, like kind of um, I don't want to use the word dropped on their laps because it's not being dropped on their laps, but it's like jointly with like trust, security, legal and privacy. Like, how can we make sure we're using Gen AI responsibly? And so akin to like the GDPR and having to kind of put in place a GDPR program, you're seeing privacy leaders take the the role, you know, maybe jointly with another organization or jointly with like an AI responsible ethics role or trust officer kind of building out a responsible AI program. Mm hmm. And is this something that where like basically privacy professionals in, in much the same way that, you know, uh, other people like either businesses or technical professionals are sort of play, trying to like play catch up to everything that's going on in, in the space of AI? Are privacy professionals doing this essentially faced with the same battle of like this is like net new and we need to kind of rethink maybe some of the, the you know, policies and processes that we put in place that have worked for other types of technologies? I would say yes and no. I would say there were privacy leaders and AI risk professionals are much more ahead of the ball than they were, say, when when Google started 20 years ago, right? And ad targeting and search. Because think about, you know, like Google and the online advertising ecosystem and tar ad targeting and collecting information on Gmail and then targeting ads based upon things like your health or ethnicity, like there were no regulations, right? Like you had to kind of build internal policies and procedures around that and think about doing the right thing. And really, you know, there were some consent decrees and then there was the GDPR and CPRA and now we have lots of other state laws, but, um, and regulations around the world. But what I feel like I'm seeing, we're seeing with now the explosion of chat GPT, the Italian regulators like jumped on that right away. You know, the EU is talking about building a regulation around AI. Like, I believe that just, you know, Maybe because of what has happened with privacy, you know, regulators kind of, you know, 
taking longer to regulate it. And that like you're seeing much more kind of forward thinking and jumping on it early to kind of think, how do we really govern this now versus, you know, see what happens? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like there's been a shift certainly in the dynamics and our like understanding of, uh, you know, personal privacy and also concern over personal privacy. Like even as a consumer, I was talking to someone earlier today that was uh, mentioning how essentially like the sort of next generation of internet user, people who are, uh, you know, teenagers today are a lot more conscious about how their data is maybe used online than certainly my generation was when, you know, the internet was first coming, becoming a thing is like, this is all net new. And we just like, who cares? Like I, I can do this cool thing online. And I didn't really think necessarily about what actually happens to the information that I'm sharing. And I think that has been a big shift as well. So we're probably better prepared for, new technology innovations than we were certainly 20 years ago. Yeah, I think with, for example, like, you know, little kids, you know, I just think of like when social media became kind of a thing, right? Like I knew with social media, I knew with Facebook, you know, there were privacy settings, there were things that were private, like you wanted to be careful with what was shared out there and not, and I think the, like a generation that kind of, you know, had Facebook in college or just sharing whatever, Right. Like things that could be potentially embarrassing with them in the future. And then I think the generation after that kind of learned because I was reading somewhere like, you know, there was one generation that was like wanted to be out there, wanted to have their social profile, their name. And then the newer generation wanted to be more anonymous, like on the Internet. So, you know, kind of that in between. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's like a natural thing that we see uh, across like many different types of like ideas or trends is that. You know, we went from, uh, you know, privacy is dead, but, you know, like, who cares? We'll just, you know, share everything. And then there was like a natural contraction or maybe even overreaction to that. It was like, oh, we need everything anonymous. And probably the truth is like some happy medium in there with certain controls in place. But you see the same thing with um, uh, lots of different, you know, phenomenon where there's like, you know, stock markets, so evaluation of companies, like there's this natural contracting and expansion that kind of happens around like various ideas. Yeah. So you know, clearly AI is having, you know, this moment right now. And, I just, you know, it's probably calling it a moment is, is not even a fair classification of it. It's probably really like a new era of product and consumer experience. So from a privacy perspective, how does, like, what are the concerns around data privacy in relation to AI? What, what are the key privacy challenges associated with AI? Yeah. So, I mean, from the privacy, let's like just take it simply to kind of the privacy angle, and then I can talk more about just the overall like AI governance world. From the privacy angle, you know, a lot of it is about personal data or personal information that's being entered into the model. Um, you know, when you go to use BARD or ChatGPT, you know, are you, provi are you pro um, providing potentially sensitive data? Like, you know, are people aware that what goes into the model stays into the model? Um, is there a way to delete that data, you know, how do you know what the model is really doing from like a black box perspective? So when you really think of real privacy, you know, there's also fairness, um, data portability, data minimization. So if going back to kind of the basic GDPR um, fundamentals, but then what, and that's kind of ties into what we're talking about more today, is that you're seeing this world of AI governance or AI responsibility that's more than just privacy. It's also about ethics, fairness, trust, um, responsibility, um, and, and like how, you know, when you're either using a model internally within an organization or building a model or building an AI function or building AI functionality, gen AI functionality into a model, like how are you building it? Like trust by, by design, privacy by design, like versus, you know, trying to bolt it on at the end. 
So you you mentioned you know AI governance. So what what is like the actual like explanation or how how would you explain AI governance to somebody? Right. So interesting. I was actually doing some research and I put AI governance into YouTube to see if there was like kind of a video about it. And it's actually I found videos on data governance and information governance. Nothing really on AI governance. Um, but the reason I like to use that word and many in the privacy industry are actually using that word is because the IAPP, the privacy industry group, did actually take it upon themselves to kind of create this field of AI governance. And so if you take a step back and just think about the word governance, um, being in corporate America, right, I think first like corporate governance, right? Like how what's the structure of your organization? Like how are you having proper ethics and compliance around it, right? Like in legal departments, there's usually... Um, an ethics and compliance and a corporate governance legal group. And then I think about like a security function, right? So a security function usually has a GRC function, governance, risk, and compliance. Um, lots of banks have, you know, pure like risk, enterprise risk function. So I think of governance as a word, and I, you are seeing people in the privacy space starting to do this as well. It's, you know, the whole life cycle of governing a risk function, right? So whether it's AI, privacy, security, corporate governance, um, so then the IAPP did kind of take this and took this, this field of AI governance and is doing training and, um, testing on it. And so I think, I feel like it makes sense because, you know, it's the privacy leaders that are, that are also kind of wearing like the risk hat, right? Like we're thinking about the risk to the organization, but yet we also don't want to be blockers in an organization. We want to help an organization be able to kind of, um, innovate and flourish, but how can we do that in a, in a healthy way? That's good for everyone. How is like both privacy and governance in relation to AI different than, you know, privacy and governance when we we're just talking about sort of non-AI technologies? Yep. So so there are some components that are that you have to think about, um, like for let me just try to think about something really simple, like, for example, um, like a Google Doc. A Google Doc, like a Google spreadsheet that has, you know, names on it, right? Like names, email addresses, social security, not like social security numbers, that's, that's sensitive, um, that someone wants to use internally. You know, you want to think about how, why that data is being collected, how it's being used for, it's not, it's being used in terms of your privacy policy. You're not using it for secondary purposes. What's the retention on it? Who has access to it? deletion, minimization, um, kind of the whole data life cycle. Now, when you build in Gen AI, you also want to think about things like what is the model being trained on, right? Like how can a model potentially be discriminatory? Um, you know, if it's a black box, how are you saying what you're actually doing with the data? So the person using the functionality is able to understand. Um, one way that does actually kind of tie back to privacy is I was thinking about you know, like Facebook and Google privacy settings, um, like how they should be transparent and easy to understand for the user, whether it's, let's say, an 18-year-old child or your grandmother or, you know, like your 80-year-old parent. I see. So the is one of the challenges when we're talking about like AI models, one is is certainly like transparency. So how do we essentially you know, put those controls in place for, irregardless of the person who's using it and they can actually understand what's going on. And then is there also, a, a, you know, challenges around controlling or being able to essentially control at the model level, like 
who's actually going to have access to certain types of information. Like if I think about something like ChatGPT or even like, you know, an LLM that's maybe trained on my own internal documents, you know, I'm putting in a prompt, I'm getting some sort of response. So, you know, essentially, how do we know whether I'm supposed to see that response for, especially if it contains like sensitive information about the company versus, you know, you seeing one version of that response? Is this governance? When we talk about AI governance, is it also sort of covering those scenarios? Well, just take a step back. Um, your question on fairness, sorry, transparency and control, I would actually break those into two different things. So when I think of transparency and trust, I think of like the nutrition label concept, right? The nutrition label of making it easy to understand what the model is doing, right? Like what is what is the model doing? How are you being transparent around that? Making sure there are no dark patterns or dark pa patterns is this concept of like, trying to trick people into giving more information or trick or going one way versus another, like the big giant blue button instead of the little tiny button for no, for like the, because they want to trick them into doing something. So that's where I think of like transparency and trust is being clear and transparent about what the date, what the model is doing. Um, I believe controls are a component of that. Like you want to be clear on what controls are in place, you know, for example, like, data that could be entered into the model, redacting or removing sensitive information. So it's not even being shared. So it's not an option. Um, controlling who has access. So kind of basic internal access controls or data governance controls. Um, retention, you know, what's your retention policy? How often is this data deleted? Um, so those are two components that also tie into like privacy, right? Because like you know, regulators have been going after Facebook and Google for years and saying you need to have really clear and transparent policies and procedures and controls of your privacy settings, right? So then to move forward to your question around the model, um, I mean, I believe that, you know, internally, I guess it depends what you're processing, but an internally, L an internally created LM model trained off your own data, I don't see as much sensitivity with depending on what it is. Um, as you know, thinking of the basic kind of user tools like chat GPT or BARD. And, you know, if, if for some reason, if, you know, they didn't have a control in place and someone put in a list of social security numbers and then a bad actor was trying to hack, like, Hey, can you give me, um, the name of all these, or even like take a step back to the 23 and me breach, you know, like what if someone wanted to find a name of, um, I don't know how to say the word properly, but the Ashkani Jews that were exposed for some sort of like nefarious purpose, like, and they tried to get that data from chat GPT, you know, then you're putting all those people at risk um, based upon a highly sensitive category actually defined under the, EG, uh, the GDPR of being like sensitive and private about people, like their religion and ethnicity. Yeah, so there's a lot, I think there's a lot to sort of unpack there. Like one thing you mentioned is the, around the nutrition labels. And I believe uh, CMO, CMU, their privacy engineering program and, and Dr. Lori Craner did a bunch of research around sort of privacy labels. And I think Apple and Google actually are using some form of privacy labels now for the apps in their app stores. Um, but I would think that's a very difficult thing to do for an AI model because even experts or the people who've developed the models don't actually necessarily always understand exactly what the use of the information will be because of it, it's a very complicated process with potentially billions of inputs with, uh, you know, very, very complex, you know, essentially, you know, deep learning that's going on. Um, it's hard to predict the actual use of the data and, and give essentially like 
some concise description of how my information or how certain types of information is going to be used. Uh, so yeah, so no, Twilio has actually also come out with the kind of a nutrition label for AI and internal usage. And yeah, I mean, what every organization will want to think about doing is so, right, like all the, right, there's, you know, frameworks, there's guidance, there's NIST has framework, different regulatory bodies have frameworks, the EU is coming out with the, the AI Act. Um, but it's just like a privacy program, like you still need to take a step back, understand what you're doing and take it from the top, right? Like, what is your model collecting? What are you using it for? Um, who is the kind of user of this service, right? So like, the people at Facebook thinking about uh, privacy or gen AI for people that are using Facebook on a daily basis are thinking about the general consumer, right? Like, what does grandma need to know to use Facebook safely and not be hacked? Where like a B2B company, like a Skyflow, like we're thinking about the buyer being a, or the user being a, a chief technology officer or a vice president of engineering. And they want, or, you know, someone at Twil buying Twilio, like they want to understand that voice recordings or AI generated review of data, like how is it safe? So it also depends on like the audience and how you're using the data. I see. Hey there, Sean here. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Partially Redacted. If so, please subscribe so you can always check out the latest episode and help others find the show by leaving a rating and review. Final thing before I get you back to the interview, if you're interested in privacy and security, have a challenge or issue you want to discuss or want to share your expertise, please join the Partially Redacted community at skyflow.com slash community. All right, now back to the show. And then you, know, you mentioned the 23andMe data breach and sort of, you know, relating that to a, a scenario that could potentially happen using something like ChatGPT or another, you know, form of LLM. How does ethics, like where does ethics and AI kind of fit into this world in relation to AI governance or even, you know, just general concerns of privacy professionals and uh, what's going on in AI? Yeah. So I, you know, thinking about ethics, I uh, actually asked Bard to do a quick, um, like, what is responsible AI? Um, and so it's the practice of designing, according to Bard, it's the practice <laughs> of designing, developing, and deploying AI systems in a way that is ethical, fair, and beneficial to society. It is an approach to AI that takes account the potential risks and impacts of AI and seeks to mitigate them. So, you know, ethics, like kind of to like go to kind of ethical concerns, like real world. I mean, the 23andMe is a perfect example, like ethical concerns with that. You know, people thought their data was safe when they did that test. And then now that data is out potentially for people to use. Um, facial recognition technology, you know, like when you share that information, like, could it be potentially used by someone to, um, you know, hack into a system using your face print or something like that. And then AI powered hiring tools are what, you know, we're also seeing kind of in the space is, you know, are you by using an AI powered hiring, hiring tool, are you discriminating inadvertently against, you know, not hiring a particular race or people of particular experience who could bring a lot to the table with like diversity? Um, I don't want to, I think, you know, it's like, are you all, all hiring white males from Stanford? Um, right. Like there used to be, I think that was like the only people that were hired by Facebook for a long time. Or are you getting kind of diversity, um, by hiring someone that maybe went to a different university or, you know, as an immigrant to the U S um, are you kind of looking for that characteristics? If you have an AI system looking at your resumes mm -hmm. and then is that ethical, you know, like, are you know, you might want the right, a particular profile for your hiring because you do believe that's 
um, that's the best for your organization, but it's also good to kind of think like, let's bring some diversity into the mix as well. What would your advice be to companies that are in either integrating with AI platforms or maybe they're building out new products that are going to be, uh, you know, AI based products to sort of navigate this world of, uh, you know, trust, ethics, privacy? Well, I would at least, you know, hopefully, hopefully someone in your organization is thinking about not just what's the new shiny object that you can build and also thinking about the risks of this new shiny object and how to mitigate these risks before it's too late. Um, you know, if you're a small organization, you know, thinking about kind of like with the EU, it put a role of a DPO in place. Like you need to have someone that's designated to privacy, not just kind of this back office thing. Um, you know, we think about who internally is kind of raising their hand or maybe not, and could be kind of person who's responsible for understanding the, the AI governance of a new feature. Um, so at least kind of put it on your radar out there. And then, you know, obviously is best possible is provide this individual or group with resources, training, um, knowledge to kind of, you know, you don't have, they don't have to be an, like a forward looking expert and understand what's going on with all the new regulations and coming down the pipe. But, you know, being able to kind of implement uh, a AI kind of governance perspective and figure out what your perspective is to mitigate risk for the organization. It seems like, you know, things like, uh, you know, you mentioned GDPR uh, a few times and some of the things that have come out of regulations like GDPR, like the, the idea of like, you know, the right to be forgotten or, uh, you know, a data subject request and, and these types of things or data, you know, data residency regulations in uh in like sort of the non AI world, those are potentially difficult technology, technical challenges for a company to deal with. But in some ways, even though they might be difficult because your data is all over the place, which adds to like the scale and the complexity, I think like fundamentally, most people kind of understand how they would might need to solve that problem technically, even if the scale of it is like hard and it would be costly. But I think that when it comes to AI, like there's even a gap around how would we technically solve some of these problems? Because essentially, you know, like you said, like there's no delete button for an AI model. Like models are designed to learn, they're not necessarily designed to unlearn. So I can't tell you like delete the part of your brain that knows what an apple is. That's the same, like we can't delete essentially, uh, you know, if I share my social security number, my social security number was used as part of the learning process for an AI model. I can't go and necessarily delete that information. So, you know, from what you've heard from, you know, from your own knowledge or what you've seen from some of the conferences you've been at or just discussions from privacy professionals, how are they sort of advising companies around some of these, these challenges and how they should be thinking about them? Yeah, thank you. That's a great segue. I was going to touch on the technology next. Um, so, you know, like you said, like it's, you know, you really want to also be thinking about it from a technological perspective, right? Like don't just slap up a bunch of policies and not really be thinking about it. Like actually also think about it from a technological perspective. So, um, you know, some technologies are like redacting the data or not actually sharing the sensitive data with the model. For example, the Samsung issue early on where, you know, Samsung employees were sharing sensitive business data with the model. Um, so really thinking about this kind of touches on pets, like kind of what are the technologies that you can sit down with your engineers and your CISOs and your security leaders and your risk and trust and think about really building in the technical controls, um, access controls, internal access controls, data deletion, anonymization, retention periods, 
um, really kind of thinking about people, process, and technology as a comprehensive t- subject. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think that it, another area that a lot of companies need to invest in is also like education of their own employees. You know, just as like they might, edu- if you're dealing with like, you know, health-related information, you probably have your employees going through, you know, HIPAA training. Uh, is certainly when, I'm sure you went through this as well, when you were at Google. When I was at Google, we had to go through, you know, certain security training or like, you know, how do you, how do you um, I don't know, navigate the press? Like there's, you know, different internal trainings that every company does. And I would think that this is a new area where we need to educate the the market as well as our employees and just like, what is sort of safe interactions with AI uh, and our, and then there's also the sort of deeper part of it is if we're actually doing you know product and engineering around AI, how do we think about it from a security and privacy perspective? Do you see that um, you know, sort of sort of happening in the market? Are people like launching these different education programs? That's an int- I haven't seen a ton of advertising for that yet in my space, although I'm sure it's coming very fast and furious. Um, you know, even privacy training, like in 2018, 2019, like there weren't a lot of great options for privacy training. There was a lot of security trainings. And unless you built it in-house internally, which I did do at a couple organizations for the whole company to view, um, there weren't just off-the-shelf trainings like there are for like, you know, harassment for employees. Um, but you now there's like a plethora of privacy training that you can just buy off the shelf and train your employees on HIPAA, GDPR, for example. Um, I haven't in my sp- in my world seen a ton yet on responsible AI, but I bet it's going to be very short, soon coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe there's a I don't know a greenfield opportunity for some you know budding entrepreneur out there to uh, to launch something like that. What do you think the future? looks like in terms of regulations around AI and and some of these things that we've touched on today? Yeah, I mean, like going back to my original example, you know, I feel like the EU regulators, right? Like for, you know, they, until the GDPR came out, they really didn't have enough teeth to really regulate a lot of the US tech companies. Um, Like I said, I feel that they're trying to kind of get ahead of that, both the US and the EU and other countries like China, Singapore, so I do believe, you know, that there should be the EU AI, AI Act is in discussions. You know, today they just came out and said there's actually going to be a body that's going to regulate um, AI in the EU. So that's a good step that they're actually building an organization to enforce it and regulate it. Um, so I, I feel like the EU is also going to be kind of the leader in this space. Um, also coming off the recent conference I've learned from talking to some professionals in kind of the risk and insurance space that you're also seeing like insurance regulators um, thinking about it as well. Because, right, like if you go get car insurance, they're building an AI model about you and your risk as an individual, right? Like how are they making sure that's not biased based on your zip code or your race? So it is also there's that insurance is also, you know, there's a lot of AI in the building, the, the insurance model. And they're actually some states are talking about kind of enterprise risk, building a comprehensive internal enterprise risk program to think about the enterprise risk and the risk of the model. So you're seeing it, you know, both in the EU and also kind of at the U.S. state level as well as globally. So I feel like that should be coming soon. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that there's probably a lot of, you know, when we're talking about AI now, like everybody naturally thinks of, you know, ChatGPT and everything that's happening in generative AI and all else. But AI and models have been used 
you know, for years, like <laughs> it's not like it's all brand new. Uh, there's been some step functions around some of the the, the work around, uh, you know, deep learning and what we can do in terms of like generation versus just prediction and classification. But there's a lot of industries like you mentioned insurance. I would think things around banking, like, um, you know, essentially risk assessments around giving someone a loan. There's probably a lot of these AI models that are used. And I don't know. I, I'm curious if how much thought has really gone into, you know, biases and sort of the ethics of, of the development of those models. Well, yeah, I mean, I, um, maybe not early on, but I mean, I don't know if you remember Wells Fargo had a court case against them that for discriminating on loans based upon like where the houses were, um, like not believing the borrowers may not be credit worthy based upon like, you know, where the houses were. So like you're seeing that, regulators are as as things like that occur like they're trying to get more on top of it that's why like financial services banking um you are seeing you know having to build a more comprehensive risk management and ai functions comprehensively mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good point so is there anything else that we should touch on that we didn't uh, get a chance to, to cover i would say you know as a privacy leader to you know one of the things that we're talking about in the privacy space is that how the privacy leader, you know, is kind of touched across the whole organization, right? Like we work closely with marketing. We think of all the data that goes in the marketing and sales systems. We think about the data that the engineers are using. If you're building a product externally or externally, you're obviously working very closely with your CISO and trust and legal team, um, HR data, right? People in HR. And, you know, really thinking about as a privacy leader, like kind of building and like thinking about all those touch points across the organization, like they are the one that is well suited to kind of think about um, kind of also building a responsible AI. And that's what we're seeing in the industry is that, you know, it is getting kind of handed to the privacy leaders, whether they want it or not. But I also see it's exciting to see, you know, privacy leaders thinking about how can we make this better? How can we streamline this and trying to do the right thing for society? Do you think that this will end up sort of, uh, I don't know, having uh, an impact on the growth and need of privacy professionals as a whole, as this becomes more and more like a technology investment for so many different companies. Yeah, I mean, there's already a huge need for privacy and security professionals in in the space, like as just companies are much more aware and the proliferation of state laws and enforcement from the FTC. Um, but I think this is going to, you know, once new laws come out, it's even going to kind of amplify that even more because it's just it's more work. It's not just, you know, you can find synergies and streamline things like, you know, like a PIA, privacy impact assessment. You could think about also building in like the AI risk assessment as well and like kind of streamlining it that way. But it's still at the end of the day, you know, more work to pull up, build those pro 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 programs, put them in place, roll them out, and then maybe think about how kind of streamline and streamline the flywheel. Um, but I do believe there's going to be at least an uptick of services and privacy, you know, privacy consulting, like legal consulting um, to get those programs in place and then, you know, see how it goes from there. Yeah, I would think that like a lot of the companies that, you know, startups that are innovating in the space, they might need to bring in essentially those privacy and security leaders much earlier into their life cycle than maybe they traditionally would have. Yeah. I'm definitely seeing some roles, um, some peers of mine might be interested in applying for it, like company, like AI companies, you know, privacy, like a privacy risk manager roles or things like that to really think about responsible AI, um, building AI responsibly. So that's, that's a good thing at the end of the day.
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for startups that are you know, working in a space, if they want to sell into certain types of companies, certainly like highly regulated industries, enterprise, like they're going to have some hard privacy and security questions that they need to answer in order for them to really move beyond essentially demoware with any of these companies. Yep. Well, Robin, thanks so much for for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. It's uh, great to catch up and uh, I'm excited. It's good that you're back in the Bay Area. Hopefully we'll we'll see each other in person sometime soon. Yep. (laughs) Same here. All right. Thanks and cheers. All right. Take care.